Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. We are getting ever closer to crowning a champion for the worst song ever, um, a dubious distinction uh, that will be given to one of our four finalists. We are in the final four, and uh, I think a suitable final four, um, given that we started off with a list of about 200, narrowed it down to a field of 64, narrowed it down to 32, then 16, 8 last week, and now we're on our final four. Is this who you guys thought would be here? Christian? Uh, go ahead, Christian. No, I, I think it's, um, I mean, yes, they were our number one seeds. Um, it's, uh, it's very rare in a tournament of this size that you see, um, that you would see, you know, Chuck rocked all the way to uh, to the final four. But um, as it so happens, uh, you know, particularly I think in, in the Elite Eight, these were these were pretty decisive victories. Um, some of the bigger upsets came earlier on. Um, and uh, I still don't understand how I don't want to miss a thing just doesn't, like, get, you know, three bye weeks leading into this <laughs> thing. Um, but, uh, but you know, that's, that's, that's how it goes. Um, I think that, you know, it, it is kind of interesting to consider how generational differences have probably played a, a, a role in that. And, you know, for my part, um, I have come to uh, some of the some of the music that was on um, our master list originally, you know, later in, um, in my life, sort of uh, as, I've, as I've been digging deeper back into history. But I'll be honest with you, um, for, for some of the uh, complete turds that you included on that list, um, it does not really benefit me at all to spend a lot of time um, digging through that kind of history. And, and, you know, so really having survived it firsthand just provides a, a different experience because ultimately there's no way I'm going to force myself to listen to Dan Fogelberg as much as you probably had to on the radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was when monoculture was king and, and the radio, you know, you didn't get as much of a choice of what, what you listened to. So, Jer, what, what about you? Is this sort of where you thought we'd wind up? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's um, <clears throat> it's really one of those, those uh, tournaments where, like, I don't know that even with an upset, there wasn't one song on there that if it made it to the final four, I would have been like, you don't deserve to be there, you know? So there, there really was a, 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 a scaling down of complete garbage. And uh, I think like the, you know, um, toss-offs sort of floated to the top here that were, that were uh, you know, songs that definitely played a huge you know, role in, in forced listening in my life. And uh, I think that has holds some weight, too. I think not only are these songs bad, but um, I think to your point with radio, uh, to your guys' point with radio, these songs all kind of hit, either they're, you know, sort of a classic, like our, our Jimmy Buffett or, you know, quote-unquote classic, um, that you were forced to listen to via friends or, uh, you know, swinger parties that your parents had or, or whenever or you know on somebody's boat fishing um with a Hawaiian shirt on but uh or they were songs that were sort of pre having the ability to you know completely curate your own um your own music and, and shut yourself off from the rest of the shit that uh you hate and so I think that did definitely play a part but um in, in decisive victories last round but these are tough matchups this week and uh I don't know how you could argue the four that are here i mean that well deserved a uh, hard fought you know well 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 coached and and 
bad hooks and shitty songwriting and uh, irritation, you know. Um, so, you know, what about you, Wynn? How do you feel? Um, I'm feeling pretty good. I, you know, I, I think we're we're close to Chuck, but I, I think there was, uh, you know, there was some, you know, certainly some of my number one seeds, some of all of your number one seeds got uh, taken out in the in the uh, early rounds, uh, earlier rounds. You know, a, a song like "Don't Want to Miss a Thing," which you know, uh, don't want to dwell on too too much, but. You know, I was, uh, I never, I've never seen the movie it was connected to. I've never, you know, it it never really played that big a role in my life. Whereas, yeah, I was in Cars where Fogelberg was playing incessantly. I I remember when Buffett was on the charts with these songs originally. So um, that kind of stuff, you know, really resonates. But I do feel like we have an intergenerational um, kind of uh, um, consensus um, here, I think that you know none of these songs feels like an outlier that that one of us is championing. Or uh, I think these are all for um, you know, as as Brian Adams and Sting and Rod Stewart once famously <laughs> said, it's uh, all for one, all for love. So um, I don't know. You want to get down to uh, you know discuss it. The four songs here are uh, "One Week" by the Bare Naked Ladies. Walking in Memphis by Mark Cohn, Cheeseburger in Paradise by Jimmy Buffett, which I will again insist is a stand-in for his entire catalog, and uh, Sean Mullins's creepy, uh, stalkery, toxic, 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 um, breathy uh, lullaby. So um, I guess the first, uh, the first, the early game uh, to speak in the parlance of the Final Four is uh, One Week by Bare Naked Ladies and Mark Cohn's Walking in Memphis. And let's start with a discussion of Canada's own, Scarborough, Ontario's own Bare Naked Ladies with One Week. Prior to that, should we do something a little different and have Damien just play a clip of both songs so our listeners can can go back to back? I know we've we've technically been playing the the song that got kicked out of the tourney um, on on its way out. And uh, let's hear both real quickly just to kind of remind people how Is bad these are. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Don't turn Justifier off uh, the pod yet. We'll be back. It's been one week since you looked at me. Cocked your head to the side and said I'm angry. Five days since you laughed at me. Saying get back together, come back and see me. Three days in the living room. I realized it's all my fault but couldn't tell you. Yesterday you've forgiven me. But it'll still be two days till I say I'm sorry. Hold it now and watch a look wink. Cause I make you stop think. You'll think you're looking at Aquaman. Summon fish to the dish, although I like the shallots, since I like the sushi, cause it's never touch a frying pan. Hot like wasabi when I bust rhymes, speak like Leanne rhymes, because I'm all about value. Bird campers got the mad hits, you try to match wits, you try to hold me but a bust through. Can I make a break and take a pick, I like a sink and they can shake, I like vanilla, it's the finest of the flavors. Put on my blue suede shoes and I boarded the plane. Touchdown in the land of the Delta Blue. In the middle of the pouring rain W.C. Handy Won't you look down over me Yeah, I got a first class ticket But I'm as blue as a boy can be Then I'm walking in Memphis Just walking with my feet ten feet off a beam Walking in Memphis But do you really feel 
Thanks, Damien, for uh, torturing our listeners with those two uh, decidedly horrible songs. Um, so, yeah, guys, you want to talk about One Week again, since it's been a week since we talked about it? Yeah, I keep discovering new ways to hate this song. <laughs> um, there's this, the, if you, you know, I've never, again, it was a, a song that, you know, once I heard that, you know, um, sort of Adderall-infused, uh, you know, leaping off point, which is the, you know, the song just jumps in uh, with no intro. And, uh, but I, usually when I heard that, I was able to change the station. I was able to get out of the room. I was able to go out and smoke a cigarette probably or do whatever it was that, um, you know, I was doing to get away from the song. But having, you know, feeling the burden of, uh, of really uh, studying this stuff um, for the sake of this podcast, I went back and really broke down the lyrics, watched the video, and um, God, I, I dug up some nuggets that I didn't even know existed in this piece of shit. Um, Christian, I think you're the most uh, qualified to talk about it since you know all of the words, but uh, what, what particular stumbling blocks do you have uh, during the course of the three and a half to four minute rendition of One Week? Well, you know it's a song that's going to piss you off when you know all of the words, have known all of the words for, for damn near 20 years probably, um, and have no clue what the song is actually about. Uh, I think there are these vast sort of, uh, uh, you know, periods of, of, of the song in which um, the guy is, is spewing utter nonsense gibberish bullshit um the best the, the best sort of articulation uh of, of a narrative here um that that i've uh managed to uh to research um involves uh, a sort of slow descent into madness followed by uh murdering his girlfriend um and then spends the rest of the the song um just mut- basically uh, himself <laughs> Contained in a yeah, contained in a, a sort of inner monologue in which he's um, talking about uh, wearing his heart on his sleeve and and losing his shirt, um, you know, making references to the uh, nine iron that he killed her with. Um, but but I think in particular the first rap breakdown uh, is the sort of stream of consciousness ramblings on the uh, you know of a of a man on the edge of madness. Um, slowly starving and obsessing about different types of food as he dwells on his guilt about this uh, this sort of relationship um, error uh, that, that he's made. So um, it's a song about violence toward women. Uh, Can- cannibalism. Cannibalism. <laughs> golf. Um, <laughs> X-Files. And, uh, yes, um, and, and was probably briefly considered... A sort of unofficial Canadian national anthem. Um, Still is. I, I was just uh, up there. I think. 
I think that the the sort of the, the you know the the highlight in uh, in this particular reading of bare naked ladies um, is uh, is is late in the song when um, he he sings that it's been three days since the afternoon you realized it's not my fault uh, not a moment too soon um, yesterday you'd forgiven me and now I sit back and wait till you say you're sorry he's actually bargaining with her corpse which he's been keeping in his apartment for <laughs> one week um, and uh, and yeah. I, I actually I think that there may be some some merit to all of this. Um, it's it's pretty impressive. Uh, I'll just I'll just leave you with the thought that under this particular interpretation, I'm the kind of guy who laughs at a funeral. Can't understand what I mean. You soon will. Is the most sinister line ever written in a pop music song. Yeah, not yeah. since uh, Nick Cave's Mercy Seat have we experienced anything quite so dark. It's, it's the murder ballad of the early two uh, thousands. <laughs> I, of, the, yeah. of the pop-up video era. I mean, when you're a professional writer, you know, um, what do you make of <laughs> lyrics like Chickadee China, the Chinese chicken, you have a drumstick it's, and your brain stops ticking? Watching X-Files with ones. no lights on? <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> one of those. It all feels like it's, a, I mean, it's about killing somebody. Yeah. Yeah, and, well, I think so. And, um, you know, invokes a here on, uh, here on two uh, discovered DC uh, comic book hero called Ackerman. Um, <laughs> I think that you know, as a writer, breaking down that you know that series of of um, I don't know what you'd call them syllables um, strung together. You know, there's times when you just read something like Evelyn Waugh or or uh, Oscar Wilde, and you're like, damn, how did they think of that? And this is you know one of those times when I sort of popped myself on the head and said, damn. Why did they think of that? <laughs> yeah, I think the line "I like vanilla; it's the finest of the flavors" probably sums up the song pretty, pretty concisely. It's about uh, yeah. is Snow White and Canadian as they get. Sorry, Canada, we love you and and uh, appreciate you. But all right, so should we talk about? Uh, the faux gospel, yeah. soulful nature of walking in Memphis. I think so. There is, uh, I think Christian brought it up last week. There's this sort of uh, feigned or f- fond uh, spirituality uh, mixing your love of rock and roll with, you know, the sort of desire to connect with the deep south and the heart of the blues and having such a fucking wan track and such a uh, absolutely soulless song to represent that about yourself is uh, kind of a crime. Um, especially when you bring in the sort of you know gospel backing at the very end. Um, you know, when just to drive home the fact that you are walking in Memphis. It's just a it's a it's a nothing song that gets under my skin because it's it's so fucking Yeah, I mean, it's, you run out of you run out of descriptors. It's like listening to Eric Clapton do "No Woman, No Cry." You know, it's just like yes, why soul free? Yeah, yeah. How did you there suck? <laughs> how did you end up writing a song about the you know soul and ghost of rock and roll and have it be so unrocking and completely soulless? Well, you know, it's interesting. You, c- you c- compare it for a moment to another 
attempt to connect to a sort of um, uh, very, like, urgent, emotional um, blues <clears throat> in, you know, Paul Simon's Graceland, right? Like, which is ultimately, mm-hmm. tr- which is trying to sort of dig into a soulfulness, um, obviously not about the American South, um, and and recorded with, you know, Lady Smith, Black Mombasa in, in South Africa. But, like, just his ability to... I, you know, co-opt for lack of a better term, or to borrow yeah, to borrow from somebody else's musical tradition, um, and to do so in a way that is respectful and elevates that platform or elevates that that type of music, um, you know, and and not to mention broadening the, the reach of its uh, its its audience reach, um, you know, you have that like thumping uh, bass from from. Um, Bakithi Kumalo, uh, and and you know that sort of drives the entire album. Plus those beautiful vocal harmonies. Whereas like Mark Cohen's song, which is ostensibly about the blues, begins with like a fucking like child's toy piano sound, um, and sort of this tinkling, like uh, you know, an annoying like tinny um, just noise that backs up the entire thing. Uh, like clearly, he he just thought his vocals could carry the the entire show. He goes he goes back to the the, you know, the heart and soul of the Mississippi Delta, Bruce Hornsby yes. himself for the uh, piano intro. One thing I want to say is that like, for, to me, listening to Mark Cohn's "Walking in Memphis" is the equivalent of Do you guys know anybody or have ever had to work with anybody who? loves comedy and is really unfunny and therefore they try to explain comedy to you like or why say Robin Williams recent you know HBO special was a riot but they break it down in the sort of analytical terms of like you know and then he did this where you know he he invokes like this borscht belt thing about a bris that isn't you know wasn't there and it's like listening to Marcone be soulful is like having someone explain comedy to you. Yeah, I think that's a that's an apt comparison. Agreed. Are we ready to vote? So, yeah, I mean, I think the the real question is, for me anyway, um, how much is this an exceptional uh, Mark Cohen's Walking in Memphis? You know, how how exceptional is its badness as opposed to say? Silver Thunderbird by, you know, uh, an, another potential culprit of that era, or um, you know, is it so much worse than any George Thorogood songs, which sort of attempt at the same, certainly the same target audience, um, and uh, and and frankly, you know, make many of the same mistakes? Uh, is it something that really deserves to be a champion? And for my money, is it is it excellent enough in its badness? Is exceptional it enough, distinctive in enough in its badness. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I sort of argue, uh, and you know, part of this may just be the fact that it's it's the soundtrack of you know everybody's parents' car, um, but it beyond that, it just it's sort of it's sort of generally ignored. I think if you surveyed most Americans, and, and we didn't. Um, so I'm just going to make this up. Uh, but but if you surveyed most Americans, you know, what percentage of them do we think, honestly, would have heard of this song? 
No, definitely. It's like a mole that you probably should get. Eighty percent of them would be furious about one week. Ten percent of them ten percent of them would love it. Yeah, but I think also, you know, I think the Marcone song was bigger, was was big. Um, you know, I, I I do understand the meritorious nature, and I believe that what you're saying is uh, American exceptionalism. It, it is may dead. have, <laughs> it, it may have been big, um, but it was big only eight or nine years before one week, and I have a very strong suspicion that one week is still going to be that obnoxious and big 10 years from now in a way that walking in Memphis is not. So I think... No, I mean, I, I think that the Bare Naked Ladies managed to take shitty song to a new level with one week yeah. that Mark Cohen inventively shitty. couldn't quite accomplish. You know, he, he's, he's, uh, he's doing a very standard shit song that uh, unfortunately, um, you know, crept into our lives and, and didn't go away um, and people actually liked. But... Bare Naked Ladies, you know, literally, like, invented a new level, in my opinion. Yeah, and and it's sort of, it's like, if Mark Cohen is guilty of over-singing every line in that song, and, in fact, out-singing his gospel choir, which is one of the funniest, like, it just, why bring them on only to, anyway. Um, It's just a very strange production choice. Like, they are, somehow, this... The assholes and bare naked, naked ladies managed to 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 out rap their own chorus, which is really the most just remarkable feature of, mm-hmm. of like ah, just awful noise. Well, before we put Mark Cohn away, I will say, uh, you know, sort of riffing on what you just said, there is something funny about him inverting the entire like British rock star playbook late seventies. You know, hit making, uh, uh, you know, recipe, which is having somebody who sings much better than you come in and, you know, just sort of giving them a, you know, a slight lead in and then having, you know, somebody wail, you know, on Gimme Shelter or, or you know, Us Versus Them by Pink Floyd or something like that. Um, us and them. Uh, but in this case, Marcone has decided, like you said, put the gospel choir in there and then sung well, over them. Well, and the your own voice uh, enough <laughs> that you actually sound like you can sing over them when you obviously cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I know where this where this is going ultimately, and, and I, I'm going to put it to a vote. Christian? One week. Jeremy? One week. It's unanimous. One week is in the finals. Congratulations. We're sailing to the finals. Yeah, let's take a quick break and and come back with the uh, second match, with the late game.
she grew up with the children of the stars in the Hollywood Hills and the Boulevard. Her parents threw big parties. Everyone was there. They hung out with folks like Dennis Hopper and Bob Seger and Sonny and Cher. Welcome back to Brother, 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 where today we are settling some scores in the final four. Um, we are moving on to our, our second game, the late game tonight, uh, and we have the Asper Cream scented blender salesman <laughs> singing drunken adult nursery rhymes, Jimmy Buffett, uh, with Cheeseburger in Paradise um, against the uh, Hollywood Hills Strangler, Sean Mullins. Um, uh, uh, setting and baiting his traps um, for the uh, young damsels um, in, uh, in in West Hollywood rock clubs. So, um, guys, what do you uh, what do you think of these I, songs? I got to tell you, I if you know, I, I riff, you know, hitting on one of your points from the last segment. If uh, Walking in Memphis was the soundtrack to your mother's car. Um, Lullaby is a soundtrack to your ex-boyfriend's trunk. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's it's a muffled uh... scream from a locked trunk. (laughs) I think like... It's just, like Nashville with a tan, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, he, you know, it, the Sean Mullen song. I, you know, I, I sort of, I remember the, I remember the hook. I remember, a, you know, the sort of spoken word part, but I hadn't remembered what the spoken word part was. Yeah. And it's so bad, and it, it sort of, I didn't also remember how breathy and like breathe into the mic it was. I, it feels like. A, as we said before, he feels like a refugee from the Tuesday Night Music Club Cheryl Crow's backing band. And um, B, it's like this guy who listened to, like, the, you know, the three best Tom Waits albums uh, and, you know, uh, took the, you know, the track Frank's Wild Years and it's like, I can do that. And uh, can't. Um, You know, there's a, there is a, you know, there is a quality to Tom Waits that, that, only Tom Waits has and you know he can interrupt a musical album and tell a, a little story and you don't skip it every time on the CD because it's part of the the sort of uh, fabric of, of the, the whole narrative and the whole you know package um, Sean Mullins I believe was going for that and just fucking failed miserably um, it's awful it's, it's really awful it's one of those songs and this is really irritating to me um, and I, I love the the serial killer narrative that I think Christian came up with and we've been riffing on here because it is the more you listen to it the the creepier the song gets and then you know um, go YouTube the video please because it's uh, it's disturbingly creepy as well and, and so is Sean Mullins by the way he's a, uh, a very odd looking guy but I, I also just have the feeling to win to your point of like this sort of Los Angeles, you know, um, Tuesday Night Music Club, you know, refugee. I can sort of picture his his story, and I know that he's been walking around with this chorus for years, right? Like he had mm-hmm. the everything's gonna be all right, rockabye, rockabye, whatever, um, you know, and he can hit those notes and, and yada yada. But like 
he's just been dying to put something around it and shows the like the worst possible way to do it. I, I can't imagine anybody, even in the heyday of this song being a hit and it was a, a bona fide hit, um, like not like you know be, being able to talk. What do you do? You talk along with it, or like what is the <laughs> what is the sort of yeah, like, when it comes on the radio? What yeah. is your reaction if you love it? She feels safe in the bar, Fairfax. It's just like you know, it's so painful, and and um, and yeah, it really is. Like it's delivered in such a way that like this guy is is uh you know he's just searching for like somebody who is um you know some lost soul out there that he's gonna he's gonna tie up and, and take home and and you know make be his uh his girlfriend for the next ten what, years or something. It's, it's what, insane. Which again, I, I hate to invoke artists that I love so much in this context. But, you know, it does have, like, that Tom Waits, breathy, like, quality. But it also has, like, if you're going to do this, have the menace. You know, like, Nick Cave can actually pull off the menace of something, like, could pull off the menace of something like this. And this guy is just so not... Well, he's trying uh, to be no gravity. sensitive. I mean, I, I get his attempt here, where I think Tom Waits and, and Nick Cave are, are strange guys who, who have weirdness tied into their, their bloodstream yeah, yeah and, and and have made interesting music because of that i honestly think this is like a, an earnest attempt to be like to tell the story of a gal and everything you know what i mean I, he's he's very serious here in his attempt to be sensitive and and uh you know come across as, as a modern male but his Delivery turns out to be menacing Creepier. and scary as fuck. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think every single one of the spoken word lines in this song sounds like the last pickup line you hear before they find your body. Oh, totally. It's a fucking song about putting one of your sad audience members to bed. Yeah, <laughs> like, like just take it face value. Like ignore the killing stuff. Like just what? Like, like the actual content of this song is insane. <laughs> it's very, very uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's up against. Uh, um, Do not break the fucking fourth wall, John Stay behind the fourth wall. Yeah, it's 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 up against the Pope of the Florida Keys, <laughs> uh, Jimmy Buffet. And well, all of his awfulness. As you, I mean, we were having a, a conversation offline, which you know I'm happy to revisit. I don't know that with that much like Xanax and 151, you need any help getting to sleep. No, that's just uh, the life of a parrot head. <laughs> it's. I think um, you know. Again, this is this is the stand-in for. You know, Christian, you said you discovered a volcano in your research. The song "Volcano" by Jimmy Buffett, which. Um, yeah, it is resounding. Which is now your new favorite bad. song. They're all just it as bad as the others. It's an explosion of shit on your windshield. <laughs> <laughs> but like cow shit. It's a post-jack-in-the-boss yeah. meal. <laughs> Dolphin crap. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I just... I, I, um, you know, I think the way to, to get to Cheeseburger in Paradise, which is, believe me, in and of itself a terrible song... But, you know, let's talk about Volcano and Finns and Margaritaville and whatever else the guy... I'm sure there's a couple others that I'm missing that are that were radio hits and are, are part of the... Out from the ocean. Yeah, it, it just... Um, everything about it, well, even the co-opted, like, in Volcano, it's, for, for it's instance... It's canned fun, you know? It's yes. It's like... 
This is fun. He sucks it. Yeah, he sucks at his instrument. Does which it? I guess is, which I guess is a guitar. Um, and all of like everybody else does too on on those tracks. Like, but it's 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 the sort of lackadaisical like or lackadaisical, um, you know, uh, live and let live, brother. Uh, Ethos sort of bullshittery it's of, the fishing of like, trip. beach beach lifestyle, but which by the way is is you know lived by people for approximately two weeks every August, mm-hmm. um, which you know, and during which time they listen to nonstop Buffett, and uh, then proceed to return to their lives. Um, I I really can't get over though, like if you could build your own orchestra of the world's most annoying instruments, right? Like, it, it would probably be that sort of... Steel drum, harmonica, sax. Yeah. Like, yeah. swishy maracas, and the, the coup de grace is that fucking xylophone. Yeah, I was going to say, like, makes oh. an appearance often. I'm sure there's a wera player. Um, yeah, it's like if you could. It's like if they instead of having music and art stores, they had like world music and art stores. <laughs> <laughs> and like the only thing they sell there is instruments that nobody like can rightfully include in a in a you know pop or rock song, um, and and do so like uh, subtly. It's. Um, I think so going back to your. Um, it would, I think a very, very astute uh, observation that these are adult nursery rhymes. I'm not sure that Jimmy Buffett and the Coral Reefer Band are not the adult Wiggles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just sort of, just it's sort just, of hypnotizing just you. Just plop them in front of a bunch of, like, <laughs> overweight, <laughs> middle-aged people and be like, it's fun time, we're having fun. <laughs> and then just, and then fuck off to the movies or something. Yeah, exactly. yeah no, it's true. <laughs> there's a, I mean, amazingly, for a few minutes. there's an entire, just, uh, you know, serious radio station, a Buffett station. Yeah, Margarita. Yeah. There's yeah. also a Buffett Jr. station called No Shoes, um, wow. which is Buffett Jr. being Kenny Chesney. Is he? Is, yeah. yeah. I've not delved into his shit. No, actually, his bastard son or... Uh, no, it's just a matter of like somebody inheriting the mantle. I, you know, fish from the Grateful Dead. Um, you know, uh, that kind of like. There's going to be this one Chesty day a year when when all the accountants go and or when all the <laughs> you know heads of HR gather in a parking lot and drink too much and wear funny clothes and and talk about summer plans and visors. You know, when Jimmy Buffett inevitably retires and. S- and you know goes to bed on his mountain of of thousand dollar bills um somebody's gonna step in and that person is kenny chesney it's he is the now uh you know prefab party anthemist that uh we none of us wanted um and uh and you know again has has taken the throne yeah jimmy buffett is like the anti-christ in terms of like cool too it's, it's I mean like where what other rock quote unquote and I say that very 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 loosely concert you go to where people wear hem jean shorts and visors and uh, shorts you know yeah, and, and people on stage have shorts I mean it's like it's painful um and I, I remember they definitely wear they definitely wear shorts at uh at bare naked ladies concerts. well yeah yeah of course but that's yeah uniform but uh but I mean it's it's all, it was always amazing to me 
like when I was younger and, and you know, you kind of get into classic rock, like why there was a Jimmy Buffett greatest hits CD along with that. So you're listening to it, at least in my youth and Wyndham, I imagine you were kind of mm-hmm. there for it, but this was a little bit post, but you know, the Zeps and the, you know, who and the, you know, um, kind of your I- intro to, to rock Beatles, whatever. And then inevitably like somehow Jimmy Buffett would creep into that mix. Um, or at least he did in my youth. And I just, it like boggled my mind. Sort of a, <laughs> he was playing on classic and stagger into that mix. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> you're drunk stepdad here. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, and people will be like, yeah, well, he's laughing all the way to the bank, and, and so be it. I just hope it's not a bank anywhere in my, you know, time zone. It, I just hope, I just want him to go away, and I want all the people that like him to go yeah. away. It, well, and, and in fairness, we are three people who, like, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I get, it's not that we don't understand that this guy is not about the music. It's about the good times and the feeling. It's just that we don't want the feeling mm-hmm. that, that he has. Um, and it's just so count me out. Yeah, as you can tell, we, the three of us keep joy at arm's length. So, uh, <laughs> um, Given but, the amount of hours that were, uh, that were required to put together basically a, an elaborate it. list of some of shit we hate. <laughs> no, but I, I, yeah, I, it is um, everything about it. I used to always say, you know, Jimmy Buffett fans wear $35 sunglasses. It's, it's you know, <laughs> it is... <laughs> Not entirely sure I understand that, but all right. It's I like in between. It. <laughs> It's the in-between. It's the, you know, I would, but it's a little showy, and then, or not even showy, but, oh, that's expensive. Yeah. But then, like, the, they're not going to do, like, like the, the top the $5 version of the shittiest gas thing. station, and they're not going to do the $100 yeah. pair of shades. That's great. No, that's a great. What's the <laughs> what is it called? Malibu. Yeah. Malibu. Ma- Maui Jim. No, those are expensive. Those are expensive, anyway, actually. The those are expensive, but, or something, yeah. Does he, he must, he probably owns Maui Jim. He might. He, you know, he owns a lot of stuff. I'm sure. And like I said, he's he's made a career, but whatever. But it, it's, um, it's the Tommy Bahama. It's the yeah, yeah. It's the shit yeah, you yeah, would just never wear. Not Maui, but <laughs> yeah, it's it's everything that you look at and be it's like, if, who would if, buy this? If I called you guys up and was like, hey, what do you guys think about going on a deep sea, you know, fishing trip in June or whatever or August? I mean, that's that's the crew, right? I mean, which could be fun. But at the well, same it's, time, it's like the it's like the who, let's stop at the Christmas tree shop on the way back from the Cape. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. we we love Jimmy Buffett apparently. So. So yeah, but Jimmy Buffett is up. He's going toe to toe with Sean Mullins. Yeah. And you know I'm, you know given the the, you know, given the argument that was posed in the last round it's like which which one of these things is historically bad sean mullins is irritating creepery um i think it's historically bad it's a bad song it's a bad song but jimmy buffett is a is a full-on lifestyle choice of (laughs) badness yeah you're just jealous of the parrot heads I'm jealous. Fun, I, I, I sometimes do look at, at people doing things that I couldn't, wouldn't want to do, and they're having a nice time doing it. And I think, God, I wish I wasn't, you know, I wish I lacked the cynicism and I could let myself, you know, if somebody could just be like, just have fun. My God, what, what, you know, why do you have such a hair across your ass? And uh, it's just a matter of, uh, I get angry watching people have fun to this tune. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit, and, and I think we've gone into this comparison a little bit before of the Deadhead culture, and uh, and it brings me back to, uh, I went to one Grateful Dead show before Jerry Garcia died with a lot of friends of mine who were big Deadhead fans, and I wasn't willing to pay extra to go on the floor because I really was never a Deadhead fan, dead fan. So I was up in kind of the nosebleeds in Giant Stadium, which is a horrible experience to see the dead, and um, I was surrounded by like what I would kind of consider Jimmy Buffett-esque deadhead fans, so older guys in bad attire, um, you know, kind of waiting for the show. And as soon as the dead came on and started tuning their instruments, sorry, I mean playing, everybody started dancing around me, and I was sitting. And I don't, can't, you know, recall, but I think at least five people were like, hey, man, come on, get up, first show, dude, first show, you know, just sort of like, and I felt so awkward that I was hating the experience so much, but they were just able to let go. And that's like kind of like... tend to get you over the fence. Yeah, you know? that's that's the, the Buffett experience to me. Like, I get why people have fun to it, and I um, sometimes am, am jealous of that, that, you know, ability to just excuse, you know, taste and and good music and, and cynicism or whatever, but uh, but I don't like it, and it sucks. Just, just to make sure that, that, that uh, you know, our younger listeners hate this as much as we do... Um, I think also it's important to remember that there is no expression of privilege greater than being able to let go of social mores and norms the way that parrot heads do. Like, you have to be so secure in a way that only, like, social security check-receiving baby boomers can be um, to just not give a fuck about what you look like and what kind of, like, impression you are making on the world that you can just sort of, you know... I would, I would, I would kind of... Int, intimate homelessness the way that... I would counter that point. Imit- I would say that, you know, it's an insecurity of, of needing to be told what constitutes fun rather than actually knowing um, when you're fun. experiencing something good. Oh, I, I disagree. I think it's, I think it's, a, I think it's classical... Like it's, oh, it's totally. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull it down the middle and say it's a it's a it's a crowded mix of both. I think yeah. you have a huge contingency that is uh, being content. told how to have fun, and then a huge contingency that is content. Yeah, that just is yeah. like life is great. This is good. I'd buy that. I'd buy that. Um, anyway, we, uh, should we get our uh, our worthy competitor to uh, bare naked ladies one week who is waiting anxiously? Mm. What's the uh, now the what will now be the Stanley Cup of suck? <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, I'm gonna vote first just because I know I think everybody knows where I'm going and that's Buffett. Nice, Christian. Are you torn at all, yeah. or do you have a? Uh... I am. I am. I think. Um, why don't I let you go, Jer? I'm a little torn myself. Um, you know. Sean has, like, uh, creeped into my nightmares for years, lurking around, and uh, I just, like... Lucky you made it. There's just he was so, your one overall seed, so... Yeah, he was, and I just, I hate every aspect of this song, but it's really hard for me to kind of let Buffett slide, um, and it, it, it kind of comes back to that argument that I made when I brought Buffett forward in other rounds, where it's like, what song am I gonna, am I gonna hate? Um, you know, like what song is going to permeate my life for the rest of my life? And, and I feel like Buffett's that guy. But um, shit, 
it's uh, it's tough, but I'm going to let Christian tip the scale and just for fun competition go with Mullins. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I certainly understand why you're drawn to um, uh, Mullins. I think it's important to get the word out about um, his uh, possible violent crimes. Um, and, you know, as, as a public service as much as anything else. So this is like an um, Amber Alert. Totally. <laughs> um, run. <laughs> Quickly. Like, take your shoes off. Um, and, uh, and, you know, but ultimately it's the other shoeless, uh, crowd, um, that, uh, that's going to prevail here. I think Jimmy Buffett, um, is just so disdainful of his audience, um, and disdainful of, like, a, a rich tradition of music in this country. I don't know why he doesn't feel the need to make an effort, um, but he really doesn't. It's just, it's lazy and abusive. Uh, great call. So, Jimmy versus Bare Naked Ladies is what we have here in the final? I believe it is. Cheeseburger in Paradise meets one week. Nice. Oh. Ouch. Oof. It's a butter knife fight. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway, <laughs> thanks, you guys. This was, uh, this was great. It's good to uh, exercise some of these uh, bad feelings, and we'll be back next week uh, to give you the finals. Your national champion. Yeah, yeah, your international champion. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.